I am Kimberly Hayes Day Muga. And I'm Amanda Day. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to season two of the, the Fundraising Heyday Podcast. We are a dynamic duo bringing you insight and knowledge into the ever-evolving world of grants, development, and fundraising. Full disclosure, though, we're, we're totally southern. southern. Yep, you may hear y'all. It happens. This podcast is brought to you by Season 2 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Don't let grants stress you out. Their team can help you with grant readiness and training, grant research, grant writing, and grant mock review. Visit their website, www.dhleonardconsulting.com to learn more. In this episode, we're exploring how carefully viewing Downton Abbey can teach you everything you need to know about fundraising events and whether or not they are right for your organization or client. Spoiler alert here, Kimberly is not a fan of special events fundraising. Shocking, but true. If you've ever heard me bitch and moan about fundraisers. But here's the trick. It is also true that I am a somewhat jaded fan of British costume dramas and murder mysteries set in slightly crumbling British country homes, like big old giant piles of history with faulty wire and ancient secrets, where the surface is beautiful and inviting, but it covers a lot behind the scenes, like labor and costs. You could call it a love-hate relationship, which is exactly what I have around fundraisers. So, before Kimberly goes and unleashes her rant, which I can tell is so coming, let's back up and define fundraising events, okay? We're talking about things like annual galas with live music and silent auctions or other kinds of activities. You know, there's bands, there's entertainment, Raffles. there's things going on. All kinds. There could be poker games for charity. I mean, there's just lots of things there's going on, right? Lots of things, right? lots of moving parts. Yes, and there's typically tickets and sponsors and host committees and event chairs and Kimberly's already like wringing her hands Whoa. and pulling her hair out as I mentioned all Whoa. the things because it's, it is not, I mean, you people who showed up to this event it looks so effortless, right? That's how That's it's supposed to look. That's but it's, it's kind of, I, I kind of liken it to, because I've never been involved on the behind the scenes, but I mean, I did plan my own wedding and I know <laughs> the time and toil okay. that went okay. into that. Okay. And okay. I was not a bridezilla, but definitely put a lot into it. Yep. So I, I, I feel it's probably somewhat similar. They're definitely cousins. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, like, I that. like it. I like that analogy. I, I was having a little bit of a flashback when you were going off on that list of things, but, but here's the trick. This is not necessarily about me being an introvert and disliking social occasions that involve large groups of people. Although a little bit true. Okay, slightly yes. true. But the other trick, when I was running events as a development director or in an assistant capacity in other organizations where I worked, you are running the event. So it spares me the introvert nightmare of idle cocktail chatter because girl, you ain't got time for that. Do you? No one, no one has time for that in the introvert world, but it is about me having a discussion with you about the understanding of the true cost of running an event versus the money a nonprofit agency may raise. You may have attendees and volunteers you can convert into donors, but there's an enormous time requirement for staff, even if it's involving a lot of volunteers, there's just a lot of time and effort. And I just wanted to touch on some of those things because as if you came to this podcast as a grant writer or grant manager, you may be like, what? What are you even talking about? You may not talk like that. But you may. <laughs> In the South, sometimes we do. Sometimes I do. 
I don't even know why. But I'm just saying you may work in a place where this will come up or you may have a job in the future as a development director or you may be consulting with an organization where all of a sudden they're like, we need money. I know. Let's put on a show. And maybe this will give you the tools to educate up about helping people make that decision. Sounds like a good plan to me. All right. So... There's a lot of good things. I'm back on Downton Abbey, so come back with me. Coming back, we're talking about Downton Abbey. If you haven't seen it, just think about going to a really beautiful country home. It could be in the Rocky Mountains. It could be in the Appalachian Mountains. It could be Edisto Island. I don't even care, but Downton Abbey is going to be really cool because it's England and there's green rolling hills. Yes. Downton Abbey set I'm totally 20s. picturing I lived in Germany as a kid, and I remember my favorite thing ever was visiting the Neuschwanstein Castle. Is that the which happens, castle? No. It happens to be the castle that Disney, Disney Cinderella is Castle is modeled after that. Okay, you never expect mind. me to remember the history. I just remember it was a cool castle, okay, and it's beautiful. But I can't even fathom the amount of money to run that place because of the ginormousness of it all. I'm also trying not to jump on and rant about, yes, and there were the few at the top who benefited off the backs of the many at the bottom, which we see throughout history. But that's not a podcast about this, but it's there. <laughs> so the good things about visiting Downton Abbey, right? It's beautiful. There's excellent service. Uh, you're probably going to be wearing really cool clothes. Um, there's entertainment and food, and usually there's family drama up and downstairs. But anyway, as a visitor, you would glide in and, and, and be experiencing all these beautiful things. But if I were to take you with me behind this, usually like a green felt door, there's another name for it, I don't know, that you push and you go down the kind of ugly wooden stairs, down into the servants' quarters, you'll see how many people it takes to make the lives of the upstairs folks easy and smooth and fun. They're cooks and maids and footmen and chauffeurs and housekeepers and butlers, and that's just inside the house. And there's probably some some wretched, wretched women who are laundresses who have to hand wash all this stuff. Uh. Listen, I mean, that just makes me tired. And um, not to mention the gardeners and the grooms outside. So that's a whole lot of labor, right? And now we haven't even added into either all the coal or wood or steam or whatever was used back then to heat those houses. So there's lots of what we might call in the nonprofit and agency world, Overhead. Your overhead is crazy to entertain 20 people, let's say. So to bring this back to the fundraising analogy, what, oh. what we're saying is we're comparing the Downton Abbey of all the servants and the money and the time and the effort and the stuff is just like putting on an event. You know, you show up and it looks fabulous, but it took hours of work by tons of staff and volunteers and sponsors and money, 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 money. You know, this kind of makes me think back, and I wish I could remember the movie because it just came to me. There was a movie with Jennifer Aniston, kind of a small bit movie, where she and her friends are all very wealthy, and they go to events like this all the time. And she starts dating some guy who's not wealthy. And every time they're at these events, he's like, why don't y'all just cut a check to this organization? Girl, why don't I you love just cut a man. check? And I, and I wish I remember the name of the movie, but the whole time I, I kind of, I, I kind of saw where he was coming from. There was a movie about how she was a maid and all her other friends were rich, but this is not the same movie. That's not movie. the same movie. I can't uh, remember it though, but anyway. But I, I feel you and thank you for making the analogy, you know, the Downton Abbey to um, labor costs. And yes, in my introvert world, I would be like, I would be fantastic wealthy person. So y'all, if you want me to inherit your money, 
know that I would be like the best rich person ever because I would give a lot of it away and I wouldn't, you wouldn't have to invite me to all these events because I'm just not that into it. And I would just, anyway, I would be judicious and everything would be nutritious and delicious. Don't mind Kimberly, is she's off in her dream world. So I'm sorry, I'm back. Back, so back to fundraising, want, I'm back. special I'm back. events. I'm back. What we got? So special events. So, so think about the cost of labor for an event or the cost of time uh, spent planning. Is the equivalent of all those servants running around downstairs, right? Okay. The grounds and extravagant rooms of, of Downton Abbey are your equivalent happy place. Um, that would be the equivalent of paying a lot of money to rent a beautiful event space. So I'm yes. just setting the stage for all these costs. And all the food and wine that in Downton Abbey was brought to you by the toiling servants uh, below the stairs, it's going to be brought to you by toiling catering companies who are not being paid servant-style wages of the 1920s, let me tell you. Oh, yeah. Even if they're donating it, someone's got to serve it, there's a cost. Mm-hmm. And that's also that maybe a relatively few people could have a lovely time all of that so that you can raise money yes so just just thinking about it just thinking about it but there there are other well, and, ways well and i wonder too like when you hear about folks talking about their event say raised a hundred thousand dollars do most of them say that before or after the cost because they may have raised a hundred thousand dollars but let's say it costs sixty thousand dollars to hold the event did well, they really raise a hundred thousand piping hot tea i would be drinking it right now because here's the trick if i'm going to spill the tea about this I will say, you know, I'm not going to speak for everyone because how could I possibly? Most, I would venture, and certainly where I have worked over the past 25 years, um, have chosen to report gross, not net. So we raised, could be $500,000, a million dollars. But what if it cost you $500,000 to raise a million? And then you might be like, Oh, well, that's doubling my money. Isn't that grand? But I would also say au contraire, because it's been my experience, uh, bolstered by commiseration sessions with other people in the field, (laughs) that oftentimes there are other labor costs that are not necessarily included in that grand equation to get you from gross to net. In other words, from all the money that came in versus all the money that goes out. A lot of times it's about um, those directly related event expenses like we said before the caterer the event event, you need security the security but maybe it doesn't include the percentage of employee time that goes into this Mm -hmm. and i've had people when i brought this up make the argument well that's your job i'm like that at many places that was part of my job but not all my job so you can make the argument of well what's the bigger return on investment Mm -hmm. um and I would like to sort of just go ahead and flog that that poor old dead horse a little bit more about the Downton Abbey analogy. Um, so Downton Abbey, in real life now, is I think it's called Highclere Castle or something. Yeah, well, the, there's still the family that lives there. But, dude, they make all their money from renting it out from Downton Abbey. Nobody lives like that anymore because yeah. no one can afford to live like that anymore. And there's another part of me that's like totally okay with that because that was a super inequitable society. Um, but there are other revenue streams that come into these bigger Downton Abbey places, built more estates, uh, not too oh, far yeah. from here in Asheville. Yeah, the the family, the Vanderbilt family, doesn't live in the big house anymore, so to speak. Not a prison, but, you know, I mean, like the other the kind fancy of big house. house. Fancy house. Um, they bring in revenue from people like me who might pay to go in and see it decorated for Christmas. Oh, how pretty. Um, 
uh, they could have weddings and, 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 and other events and host other fundraisers there. That's another way to yeah. uh, raise their revenue. But what I also wanted to point out is that um, if you're looking at sort of beyond grants, which I know we've talked about in other podcasts, that should not be your sole support for your organization ever. Not a sustainable model to not only be funded by grants. Uh, gosh, I mean, episodes like one through a million, we'll probably be talking about that. But also keep in mind that the largest sector of giving for nonprofits actually still comes from individuals. Really? So, yep, Giving USA comes out every year. In fact, it just came out. This is Giving USA through the Lilly School of Philanthropy at Indiana University. It comes out every year. They have pie charts. You know, I love good yeah, pie. What grant pie, yes. But what pie. grant person doesn't love a good pie chart? <sighs> I don't even want to hear your pie versus cake stuff. We don't have time for that. Let's, let's all work together. But um, the average, now the, the slice got a little bit smaller this year for the first time in years. Really? And it was individual donors are traditionally the largest slice of that fundraising revenue pie. Mm-hmm. It used to always be 70% or above. This year it dipped down to 68 But, you know, don't get it twisted, as the children say, because that's still a huge and largest slice of the pie, and that's billions of dollars. So, again, if you're looking to raise money overall in an overall fundraising plan, if you're in a position to help people understand that, know that grants could be a very important part of it, but not the biggest slice of the pie. And same thing, I'm assuming, fundraising as well. Like, you know, that's never going to be the biggest slice. So... Average, there. of course, you could say, what's average? Your, your mileage may vary. But industry reports, um, there's a good book that's been out for a long time, is well-respected, and it's uh, by James Greenfield. It's called Fundraising, Evaluating, and Managing the Fund Development Process. That book, or Mr. Greenfield's book, and also the Association for Fundraising Professionals both say, Hey, industry average for fundraising is 50 cents on a dollar. So you got okay. to, for every dollar that you bring in through fundraising, let me say fundraising events, mm-hmm. you're spending 50 cents to make it. And you could say, well, hey, I'm still 50 cents up. But I would be like, hey, what if you were maybe working through um, individual donors, major donors, where basically it's that person's salary plus maybe some travel expenses to go out, meet donors, invite them back, ask them personally, get a board member to go, blah, 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 blah. You can see that the cost would be dramatically lower on the dollar. And also that works the same way for for grant writing and grant management. There's still people involved, but it's not a cast of thousands. It's more like um, staying in a Hampton Inn where <laughs> there's free breakfast and someone will come clean your room, but there ain't no furs or shooting parties. And um, yeah, but you get your needs met, you know? That's true. And they'll bring you extra towels if you ask nicely. So um, just an idea to sort of carry you through about the mechanics, sort of the upstairs, downstairs economics of special events. And I, and I want to be super clear. Because a man has given me the face. Like, I want to be clear. I'm not saying all events are evil and wrong. I'm not saying that. But I also know that there are ways, there there are some events that are held for different reasons. Like, you want to raise some money and you want to bring new people You're in. cultivating potential future donors, maybe. And there, I know you have direct experience with an event that was local to you at the time when you worked for City of Alpharetta. Yes. It was all around... 
building community and benefiting a smaller agency. Yeah, because, I mean, fundraising and community events certainly don't always have to be this large gala. They can nope. be all kinds of different yep. things. And so, like Kimberly said, when I worked for the Taste of Alpharetta, probably the biggest special event as a city we did was the Taste of Alpharetta, which is like taste of events all over the country. You know, all restaurants set up booths. Um, and you can come and buy tickets and you buy kind of kind of bite-sized little small portions to try all kinds of things. If you've never been, go. If you're a foodie, they're fun things. But how the city of Alpharetta made that kind of a fundraising event. Um, they chose not to sell drinks. They opened that opportunity up to the local high school's bands. And so those the, the drink booths were manned by high school band students and their parents. And... Um, but they weren't selling necessarily big old shots of tequila. Oh, like, no, no, no. Let me be, be clear. clear. Yes. There were no shot about, girls it was, with those like, little leather things, those little leather belts on out there. Can we just be clear? Yes. No, no, no. We're, we're talking bottles of Coca-Cola <laughs> and Sprite and water and lemonade. Yeah. So that says more about a, me than you, It was a family it? event. Let's yes. Move on. Well, of course, I knew in my mind what I was talking about. But, yeah. So, anyway, <laughs> so they're selling, you know, for like three tickets each, you can get a nice, you know, the 20-ounce bottles of Coke. And they were 50% of those proceeds went back to the high school band. Um, which as a mom whose son is about to begin high school band in a, this year, um, I appreciate how expensive band is. So what a great fundraiser. Um, and it's, I mean, overall, that's not a huge event that makes tons of money for the community, but it does, it's, it's, it's an event that's going to happen anyway, just because it it's showcases the restaurants. It's bringing people together. Yes, it's community. It's a lot of things, but as a side benefit, that's happening. So I think there are ways that you can work within your own community yeah. and find simple because I mean really I'm sure they do a little planning ahead of time but it's basically it's a one day it's a five hour event and I'm sure there's some prep on the front and back end so but I'm saying for oh, about yes, eight for about eight hours that day the band students are working their okay. tails off they're, um, they're, oh yeah the taste of it yeah, itself that's, that's awesome. oh trust me that's I've year-round. I've volunteered for that it's it's a year-round event but I'm talking about the actual band students yeah. showing up it's about so they're giving about seven or eight hours to get quite a bit of money for their um, organization. Even if it was twenty four hours, not yeah. all in a row, they're doing it. That's a good return. They're nested exactly. within an ongoing special event that has a larger community function and a bigger draw. Yes. So that's a great example. And there, there are a couple of other really good examples that I want to hold up, just so I'm not like all fundraising events are bad. Just certain ones. I just want you to think. That's all. Um, uh, I worked for years for the Atlanta Community Food Bank, and they had an annual hunger walk and run that involved actually not just the food bank, but several other agencies uh, and faith communities that's, that were trying to end hunger in Atlanta. It's huge, but it's, it's a huge event to bring together walkers and runners. You've got families, you've got food trucks, you've got all these things, and it raises a ton of money, and so much is donated, but also that event has been going on, oh, I should know, but I am going to say for time. a long time. I'm yes. going to say at least 25 years. Yeah. I could, it could even be 30 by now. Yeah, I've lived in Atlanta for 19 years, so it's at least that long for sure. And so that's the other thing to think about. If you're starting a special event from scratch and you're looking at a hunger walk and run that's probably grossing, I, goodness, I w- I'm going to say somewhere between six hundred and $800,000 a year, if not more. Wow. They're grossing that and it's shared mm-hmm. among other organizations but it's been around for so long. It's got this huge traction in the community. They shut down parts of downtown Atlanta. So, if And that's were, the thing, too. You may have to understand that yeah, your first year, it probably wasn't like that. But it's no. something that you can grow and mold and brand and make it 
successful 20, 30 years down the road. And another, one of my favorite ways to have special events involved in fundraising wherever I am or whenever I'm working with clients is to have someone else host the event and you be the beneficiary, just like nice. the Taste of Atlanta yeah. band model. There are several groups. There's a there's an annual event each year that's like a, a I don't know the terminology here. It's skeet shooting, clay pigeon shooting, target I, shooting. I, I know what you're saying, yes. Um, and it's a huge event that is put on by uh, one organization, and they choose beneficiaries every year. Okay. There's a huge antiques show that um, the Cathedral of St. Philip uh, in the Episcopal Diocese here in Atlanta puts on, and they have a competitive selection process to choose a beneficiary a nonprofit organization. Nice. And that could be an infusion of maybe three hundred to $400,000. Now, there is work involved, but you're not bringing together all those antique dealers and setting up and moving chairs and tables around. You might be getting your board members involved, sharing mm-hmm. mailing lists. But for a small to medium-sized organization that fits their focus areas, yes, have your have your event there. You yeah. Have your event. Or it could be a smaller scale. It could oh. be a, a, a service group that has a, a golf tournament, and you're the beneficiary, you, yeah. your agency. Well, and even smaller than that, my college roommate, she's a high school teacher out in Missouri, and she runs a service group of high school students, and they put on the school's talent show every year, which oh. makes money, but they also do a grant application of local nonprofits to apply for whatever they raise to be that the beneficiary. year. Yes, and oh, so nice. it's integrated. So there's, there's lots. You don't have to have this huge following or this huge pot of money. There are ways, and it's in small ways, you can give back and, and help one another collaborate bring in folks and raise awareness and make money what a so what a beautiful dream we're oh, creating here aren't we it's a wonderful world so anyway so but like like a lot of folks that think grants are all they need to run a nonprofit, there are others who think that fundraising galas are the only thing they need to do or that fundraising galas are the thing that's going to raise all the money but that's not really the way it works for the majority of nonprofit agencies out there. And or probably go- not successful No, agencies. successful, strong agencies. Yes. Also, I want to include there are plenty of government agencies that have foundations attached to them, like yes. police foundations, firefighters, etc. And they may choose to have those kinds of things versus writing grants or other things because it makes sense with the way they're funded so this is not a winner take all (laughs) discussion it's i just wanted to trot some things out there and have a discussion and you know anytime i can talk about um my class resentment of um super wealthy people with beautiful homes that i really secretly don't want but they're fun to look at i'm down for that so it's all about down abbey (laughs) i love it Thank you again to our Season 2 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. We appreciate their support in making grants less stressful. Visit their website, www.dhleonardconsulting.com, to learn more. So what I want to do in closing is to have you remember that there is no specific college degree in grant writing or fundraising, but there are a lot of good people with experience to share, training programs, and other ways to learn. And we sure would love for this podcast to be one of your favorite ways to learn. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes this season, including next week's topic, serving as a grant reviewer. Some folks call this peer reviewer, okay? So it's interesting being on the other side of the grant application. We'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.